Let us pray. Gracious God, prepare our hearts and prepare our minds, prepare our spirits, prepare our church, prepare our world to receive your good news. For we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Our gospel lesson this morning is the first eight verses of the first chapter of the gospel according to Mark. Let us hear God's word. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My mother was an English teacher. She knew that good grammar was so much more than good grammar. She knew the power of punctuation and passed that conviction down to me. For example, let's eat grandma versus let's eat grandma. There is so much power in a comma. Biblical grammar matters as well. And this morning we encounter a prime example. Donna has read iconic words from the prophet Isaiah where we hear a voice cries out, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Now we know that the writer of Mark knew those words, yet either a misinterpretation or mistranslation from Hebrew to Greek, we've received the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. In Isaiah, the way of the Lord is prepared in the wilderness. In Mark, the voice cries out in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. Does it matter? Well, yes. Biblical scholar Ralph Klein writes that the punctuation in Isaiah 40, verse 3, is crucial. When this passage is quoted in the New Testament, it is applied to John the Baptist's cry for repentance. In Isaiah, it's not a voice crying in the wilderness, but a voice crying in the literal wilderness, build a highway for the Israelites to return from exile. 
So two biblical understandings of wilderness, one more realistic and one more figurative. But both treacherous, dangerous places where either bodies or souls can be harmed, where one can become so easily lost. And in both wildernesses, we are called to prepare the way of the Lord by smoothing and straightening, by removing roadblocks and obstacles. Brené Brown writes that theologians, writers, poets, and musicians have always used the wilderness as a metaphor to represent everything from a vast and dangerous environment where we are forced to navigate difficult trials to a refuge of nature and beauty where we seek space for contemplation. What all wilderness metaphors have in common, Brown writes, are the notions of solitude, vulnerability, and an emotional, spiritual, or physical quest. Now I bet, in fact I know, that each of us has experienced or is experiencing right now that first kind of wilderness, that vast and dangerous environment where we are forced to navigate difficult trials. You know yours, I know mine. Cancer, grief, unemployment, betrayal, addiction, loneliness, depression, estrangement. Some we create for ourselves, some happen despite our best efforts, emotional or fear, physical or spiritual wilderness, or sometimes all three at the same time. Such wildernesses are magnified in a season like this, with carols happily playing and expectations for joy mounting and mounting. That's why we hold a blue Christmas service, to acknowledge the heightened sense of wilderness in this so-called most wonderful time of the year. Finding a way out of the wilderness is never easy. It takes courage and hope and vulnerability, and I think it takes community as well. A simple GPS won't do it, but more so markers on the way and traveling companions for the journey. And faith, absolutely faith, but never easy faith. The priest and writer Richard Rohr says that there are two wildernesses, two darknesses in the spiritual journey, One you go into by your own stupidity, by your sin, blindness, ignorance, and mistakes. We all do that. But there's another darkness, Rohr says. The holy darkness is the darkness that God leads us into, through, and beyond. This is a necessary darkness for the journey. In a certain sense, Rohr says, God's darkness is a much better teacher than light. There comes a time when you have to either go deeper into faith or you will turn back. When you have to live without knowing or you lose faith altogether. 
your wilderness will be yours and mine will be mine. We sojourn in them to emerge from them. But what about our collective wilderness? The vast and dangerous environment we find ourselves in now as a nation, as a culture, as a body politic, as a community. What would it look like to prepare a way for the Lord in this wilderness to speak comfort to discomfort, to to reveal God's glory? There are many wildernesses in which we are living right now. If you are at all like me, you are living in this kind of rock and a hard place place where you want to know what is going on in the world because you care about it and at the same time want to disconnect, put down your device because the news is so, so troubling and toxic. So many wildernesses. Racism, gun violence, Las Vegas and Sutherland Springs, failing public education, the litany is long and familiar and difficult. Yet I am thinking of two this morning that are on my mind more than just on my mind this morning. The first is the Me Too movement defined by accelerating reports of sexual misconduct, sexual harassment, sexual abuse, mostly but not exclusively by men in power toward women. Each new day brings revelations about politicians or academics or executives, media members or entertainers or athletes. Some are sensing that we're at a tipping point in terms of reporting and believing and adjudicating. Perhaps, and if that's the case, then thank God for that. We are certainly at a new place. But it still feels like wilderness to me, even as progress is made. And each new revelation will certainly move us ahead in the wilderness that these revelations are the tip of the iceberg and what has happened over decades and even to this present moment, just this week in fact. I read accounts of sexual misconduct in the church from decades ago, which triggered memories of so many more. And everything that came with it, pain and guilt and blame and culpability and denial, For every high-profile story, there are, I am sure, thousands, if not millions, of other stories, no less grievous, that will only be told in a small circle, if told at all, for fear of reprisal or disbelief or shame. And if a woman has not been physically assaulted in some way, she has certainly been denied or diminished or objectified in some other way. How can we create safe space for women to tell stories bravely and be affirmed and believed? How can men repent of their behavior, either, as the prayer says, for the 
things they've done and ought not to have done or things they've not done and should have. And what does justice look like? I've been reading and thinking and praying and discussing a great deal in these past weeks. Some of it is very complex. Some of it is very clear. What is clear is that in order to move through this wilderness, in order to prepare the way, we must have the conversation that is more than a conversation and live into a new reality or we will remain lost as a culture and a church in this wilderness for a very long time. The second public wilderness in which we find ourselves is pernicious as well and pervasive and difficult to define. I will call it religious bigotry or religious intolerance. And we experienced it even this week as we debated Jerusalem, about which we have sung this morning, as we've debated a Supreme Court case about a wedding cake, as we've debated an election in Alabama. Now, perhaps I am too Midwestern polite, or perhaps I'm too Calvinist, with a belief that we all swim in the waters of total depravity. So I'm loath to say that someone is not Christian for whatever they believe or say. But that does not mean that I can't say that a belief or a practice is not Christian, does not reflect Christian values, as I understand the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what's different about this moment. I feel that, perhaps you do too, it is so discouraging. Debate matters of faith, yes, and disagree even strongly, yes, when those matters of faith take us into the world of politics. But never, ever can we practice the vilifying and dehumanizing of other human beings, nor can we tolerate it when it happens to others or ourselves. I am no less Christian for saying happy holidays to a Target checkout person. Believe me. And though that seems simple and almost trivial, it is not. This is new, this wilderness in which we find ourselves, the toxicity of our moment. When my Christian faith is questioned, when I am called a non-Christian or worse, because of the places my faith takes me in the public sphere. Where is civility? And where is respect? Now, on some matters, there may be two sides. On some matters, like race and racism, faith takes us always to a place of reconciliation and justice. But even then, it cannot take us to a place of demonizing others. And it cannot take us to accepting being demonized. Certainly we can have a thick skin, and certainly we don't troll the online comment section to make it even worse. But to read any article right now to join any debate leads us into a wilderness where religion, and in particular Christianity, has been weaponized where some partisan political positions have been painted with the patina of faith, 
so that those who disagree simply don't disagree politically but theologically, thus turning them into heretics. And yet, even as we can't shrug it off, we can't let being recipients turn us into practitioners as we hold fast to our principles and our values. Just as we must have the Me Too conversation, we must have the difficult conversation about faith in the public sphere. As difficult as the first conversation is, so will the second be. Because rather than finding conversation partners on the other side, we are mostly speaking into an echo chamber. This week I heard a very good presentation by the Duke theologian Greg Jones about, of all things, wilderness. He acknowledged the real crisis in which we find ourselves, that we as church and culture have lost sight of our destination. Our peril now, Jones said, as we wander in this wilderness, is death of the imagination that we can't imagine a future different from our wilderness present. It's true for us as individuals, I'd add, and it is certainly true for us as a church and a culture. Jones said that the longer we're in the wilderness, the more entrenched we become, the more it eats at our soul. Jones referenced the Jewish biblical scholar, Avina Zornberg, who suggests that the wilderness is both a time of peril and a time of promise. That the wilderness presents us with an opportunity to reflect and to refocus and to stay ever closer to God. That feels true to me. And it feels very much like Advent. So what if, as we navigate the wilderness... We hone our imaginations. Imagine in new ways what just and equal relationships between women and men might look like. Imagine what a new vision of religious tolerance and acceptance would look like. Imagine what a new vision of public life would look like. That does not mean that we don't protest and resist now nor speak out when speaking out is called for. Yet we do so with hope, and we do so in faith. We do so expecting and anticipating that we will emerge from the wilderness into something new. We do so preparing a way. T.S. Eliot wrote, We shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. We join our forebears in faith. We join the prophets. We join John the Baptist. A voice cries out, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. We are not the way, we prepare the way for one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit 
one who will lead us out of the wilderness, who will lead us home. Amen.